I'm really just trying to create a community for entrepreneurs to not only learn from me and to gain access to my uh, network base, but also to be able to collaborate with each other. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau, the podcast for corporate refugees who want to do more of what they love and get paid what they're worth. I'm David Schreiner-Khan, your guide and community builder. Smashing the Plateau is more than just a podcast. We're a community of like-minded consultants who are committed to supporting one another on our business journey. Before we start, I'd like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. Struggling with achieving your business goals and navigating through challenges can be overwhelming, but here's a solution. Visit smashingtheplateau.com goals to book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me. This one-on-one session offers a unique opportunity for you to gain clarity on your business aspirations, identify roadblocks hindering your progress, and outline practical steps toward achieving your goals. It's personalized, focused, and designed to equip you with the insights to drive your business forward. It's a limited-time offer, so seize the moment. That's smashingtheplateau.com goals. In today's episode, we're delighted to welcome a remarkable entrepreneur, Jeffrey Kent, the founder and CEO of Think Big with Jeffrey Kent. Jeffrey brings a multitude of insightful experiences and valuable perspectives to the table. Having worked with over 150 businesses, helping them turn their dreams into reality, he holds a wealth of knowledge to guide entrepreneurs on their journey to success. In our discussion, Jeffrey shares his personal journey from starting his entrepreneurial adventure at the age of 15 to advising hundreds of business owners. He reflects on the importance of networking and building strong, meaningful relationships for business growth. Moreover, we'll delve deep into his latest venture, the Entrepreneur University on Alignable, a community he has crafted for entrepreneurs to learn, gain access to his vast network base, and collaborate with each other. Jeffrey's unique approach to doing everything unconventionally is sure to provide a refreshing perspective. Whether you're an established business owner or just starting out, this episode promises to be packed full of tips, insights, and advice you won't want to miss. Now let's welcome Jeffrey Kent. Jeffrey is a master teacher, coach, entrepreneur, and founder of Think Big with Jeffrey Kent. Leveraging more than 50 years of successful serial entrepreneurship, he has developed a comprehensive methodology to help entrepreneurs build their own unique, customized strategy for launching and responsibly scaling exponential business growth to their desired exit. Jeffrey obtained an MBA in entrepreneurial management from the Wharton School of Business, has taught entrepreneurship at Lincoln University, and has launched over 20 entrepreneurial ventures over the last five decades. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. So you have quite a wealth, no pun intended, wealth of experience as an entrepreneur. Can you share a little more about it? Sure. So I, I... You know, I tell people this all the time. My I, my parents are, uh, you know, they were they grew up during the Great Depression. You know, slightly after, uh, they're both in their nineties. Uh, so they, 
you know, obviously because of what was going on economically at the time, you know, weren't raised to take risks with their careers. So they were both college educated engineers who raised four kids and overeducated them to go work for someone for all of their life. I'm the oddball in the family. I'm the only entrepreneur. So uh, I started my first business at the age of 12. And um, I've, you know, kind of never looked back since. The interesting part of my, my career, though, is, is you know, because of how I was raised, you know, we were raised to, to, you know, get a great education, go work for someone, retire and live off your pension. And that just didn't appeal to me. So, you know, as I said, I started the first first uh, entrepreneurial venture at 12. I actually went to school like my brother and sisters and started a traditional corporate career initially with Xerox and sales. And then I went to AT&T 11 years into my career, decided to go back to school, get my MBA, then, you know, managed the portfolio of Julius Irving, Dr. J, the basketball player for a couple of years, and then went to Deloitte Consulting. But at the age of 49, I realized, you know, I had failed at everything I was doing, both corporate-wise and entrepreneurial-wise, and realized I needed to do something radically different, you know, to change the arc of my career. And it was at that point I decided to you know, give in to, you know, God's purpose for me to, on earth, uh, which was entrepreneurship and, and to basically leave corporate America altogether and pursue entrepreneurship full time. The great thing is when I, when I flipped that switch, everything worked, you know? So um, initially I, I started a management consulting business doing what I was doing at Deloitte Consulting, which was turnaround management consulting. I just specialized in doing it for small to mid-sized companies and then did that for about seven years. And then an opportunity came up through someone I had hired into one of my, my turnaround clients to take on a, uh, or to start a, uh, an information technology venture. So I ended up initially, it was what used to be called break fix consulting, just fixing people's, you know, machines when they broke, but we very quickly morphed it into a cloud computing business. So we started providing private cloud computing services to clients. And, and so we literally launched this business in the 200 square foot loft, a friend's townhouse. It was three of us, you know, kind of, uh, you know, if we, we elbowed each, each other, we'd hit someone, but we went from there and in six years, uh, morphed the company into one of the fastest growing uh, businesses in the country and, and, and sold it, you know, six years after we launched. And that was literally a decade ago. I, I had decided at that point I wanted to retire, but uh, uh, entrepreneurs wouldn't allow me to do that. So I've spent the last decade really just mentoring other entrepreneurs, teaching them how to do what I, I had done, which was, you know, kind of launch a business, uh, exponentially scale the growth of a business to your desired exit, when and how you want to get there, so that hopefully you can take money off the table or, or you know, extract capital from your success so that you can build generational wealth for yourself and your family. I want to go a little deeper with something that you mentioned earlier. Sure. You said at age 49, you you had realized that you had failed at everything you were doing, mm-hmm. corporate and, and as an entrepreneur. Sure. How were you failing as a corporate employee? So my first job, uh, Xerox, I was in sales and, and I failed because I, I wasn't performing. It was my very first real job. I was learning, you know, spend selling, which was Xerox's, you know, main way of, of teaching their sales force how to sell. And it's basically consultative selling. And I actually, I learned that very well, but I didn't learn it quick enough to actually prosper from what I was learning at Xerox. Uh, so I was only at Xerox for two years, 
But when I went to AT&T, my, my second job, I was actually in my first full year in the field. I became their number one sales rep globally. And um, at the time, this is 1981 or 1982, my first year, full year in the field. AT&T at that time in 1982 was the largest company in the world, both in number of employees and in sales. You know, so I take a lot of pride in, in you know, having become the top salesperson for the largest company in the world at that point. And it was really based on what I had learned at Xerox. But, but as I said, I, I just, you know, did, didn't have enough, ran, you know, runway to, to exercise what I had learned at Xerox. But after that, because I've literally, I've gotten fired from every single corporate job I've had. But it, after that, it wasn't because I wasn't performing. It was actually because I was performing too well. Unfortunately, it took my very last corporate job, Deloitte Consulting, for me to learn out what was happening to me throughout the course of my career in corporate America. And I realized at that point that corporate America is about fitting in. It's not about, you know, showing out. So what I was doing, because I'm, a, you know, growing up in a military, you know, background, I'm used to moving every two or three years at the most. And so for me, my brain processes change very easily. I'm used to change. That for me is normal. What is not normal is for me to walk into an environment where everything's, you know, organized and you only have one role and, you know, it's like that drives me crazy. So, and for me, no matter how well things are going, I see how things can be better. And so I'll tell you how things could be better initially, but if you don't respond quick enough, I'll take it over and do it myself, you know? And, and so I was doing that in, in corporate jobs, but, but again, I had a, so I'm at Deloitte and large consulting organizations are fairly flat in terms of, of management. And so, you know, I wanted to become a partner like everyone. That's, that's the goal of coming into an organization like that. And I had gotten up to senior manager pretty much faster than anyone in the history of the firm. So I reached out to my managing director in a conversation and said, what's the criteria to become a partner in this firm? And, you know, the biggest thing was, you know, well, you've got to hit a certain revenue target and consistently meet that target. So I said, okay. And so what no one knew was a uh, classmate at Wharton, his father had been a state senator in Maryland. And so I was doing a lot of public sector work for actually in a different office. And so I asked my friend if he could introduce me to his father. And he did that. And I was, fast forward, I was able to get a contract with Deloitte for the state of Maryland, you know, without any intervention from anyone else in Deloitte. And so normally on, on consulting agreements, you're at the consultants are at the client site Monday through Thursday. You come back to the office on Friday for camaraderie. We hear about projects, what, you know, what's going on that way. If, if you just rolled off a project or you're about to, you can hear, you can see what's going on in the office through, through other partners. You can reach out to them to say, Hey, you know, I might be interested in working on your project, but it's also an opportunity for partners to get up and present and, and, you know, get recognized for their accomplishments. So, uh, you know, I had this conversation with this managing director and he says, you know, Jeff, you're working on your project with partners from another office. They're not here for these Friday meetings. Would you mind putting together a presentation to present, you know, what you've accomplished on your project? And so, sure, absolutely. So I, you know, I put together this PowerPoint presentation. What no one knows is, so I'd actually, I'm huge into 
the military because my dad is career military is, you know, World War II vet army and then did ROTC, went to college, got an engineering degree and then went into the Air Force and spent his, his career in the Air Force. So Air, the military is huge on game theory. And so if you haven't been exposed to game theory, game theory, it's not about winning by playing a better game than your competitor. It's by changing the game altogether so that you're not even playing the same game. So an example of that is in World War II, we could fight the opposition using the weapons that were available at the time. And hopefully one, you know, we would win, hopefully. But you change the game by introducing an atomic weapon, right? So by introducing the atomic bomb, we actually changed the game altogether. Because with that one weapon, you know, we didn't even have to engage the uh, enemy and we could destroy millions of people in one fell swoop in seconds, right? So that's basically what game theory is all about. And so what I did was I put together this presentation on game theory and presented it to the office. So I finished my presentation, I'm walking back to a seat and my managing director grabs my arm and says, at the end of the meeting, come to my office. I'm, okay. So meeting's over. I go to his office, shut the door, have a seat, shut the door, have a seat. First words out of his mouth, you need to start looking for a new job. So I'm like, what? He says, um, and, and, you know, so I'm like, well, what did I do wrong? He says, oh, you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. He said, what you just demonstrated with through your presentation is, he said, you set the bar so high, no one in the office can even get to the bar, much less get over it. He said, what's going to happen to you over the rest of your career at, at Deloitte is people are going to collude to undermine your career because every, every time you walk in this office, you're an embodiment of what they can never become. And that makes people very uncomfortable. And um, I mean, I was just, I was pissed at first and uh, for a while actually. And then it was like, it, it dawned on me that it happened to me everywhere I had been in corporate America. You know, it happened to me in AT&T you know, same thing. I, as I said, I was the top sales rep, you know, and, I, and then I recalled things that happened where people were actively colluding to undermine my career. And so then I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what to do at this point. You know, I'm not going to change who I am. But as I said, at that point, I was kind of reflecting on what I do. And I just got this call out of the blue from someone who ended up becoming my, my co-founder. You know, he had an idea for, for a tech business and you know, at the end of the day, he was much younger than me. So initially it started with me helping him write his business plan. And once we finished that, he's like, Jeff, I'm in my early 20s. We're in Philadelphia. This isn't Silicon Valley. This isn't a tech-centric city. We've got a tech idea that we want to launch. No one's going to take me seriously. I need someone with gray hair to run this company. It's like, would you consider buying equity in the business and be becoming the CEO and running the company? And, you know, I talked to my wife and my wife, you know, and sometimes you need to talk to other people who, who know you really well because they, they have clarity that you you do, unfortunately don't have. And she's like, she's like, you hate corporate America. You know, she's like, every time you do something entrepreneurial, I see a spark in your eyes that I don't see when you do anything else. She's like, if I were you, I'd, I'd take them up on the opportunity. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm one of those people that you definitely don't want to give rope to if you don't want to see me try to hang myself. So I, when my wife gave me, gave me that, I literally, I went into job the next day and quit and, you know, joined these guys. We launched the business. This was 2007. As I said, you know, my goal at the time was, you know, I'm into creating these big, hairy, audacious goals. So, so I told my two co-founders, I'm like, I'll do this with you guys, but only on the, under the condition that 
we attempted to create the next billion dollar IT business in Philadelphia. And they were like, we have no idea how to do that. But if you think you can, we'll ride your coattails. And so that was, that was, that started a, a six year journey that, that basically uh, put me in a position to, uh, to not have to work anymore. Jeffrey, even though you're someone who likes to change the game mm-hmm. rather than just win at the existing game yeah. and you're comfortable with change, given the fact that you come from a, an upbringing that was training you to be a cog in somebody else's wheel mm-hmm. and not be an entrepreneur and you didn't know entrepreneurs, how did you feel about the risk of your first entrepreneurial venture? I don't even think about risk, to be perfectly honest with you. This is who I am. I wouldn't know how to do anything else. And I can't explain how I became this way. As I said, I, I launched my first business when I was 12 years old in eighth grade. And and what ended up happening, so we were living in Germany. We moved back to the United States. We moved to, to uh, Syracuse, New York. And, you know, I made some friends. And my friend said one day, you know, like, hey, they're, they're hiring kids at the, at the commissary, which is a military base equivalent of a grocery store. They're hiring kids to, to sack groceries for tips. You know, we're all working there. You know, if you want a job, come on down. So, okay, cool. I go down, get the job. And then realize really quickly that I'm, I'm much better than my friends at doing this because I was just, one, I was a, always an excellent student. And so I think everyone's parents always wanted their kid to hang out with me, maybe thinking that my, my intelligence would rub off on their kids. And so it was very easy for me to talk to adults when I was, when I was young. And so I would always talk to all the, all the parents when they would come into shop. And, and so we had kind of like a cue system with the kids in terms of, you know, when someone came to a cash register, whoever was first in queue would, would be the person to sack those groceries. But because most of these parents knew me, they would come to the cash register and say, we want Jeff to sack our groceries. And the commissary management is not going to argue with the customer. So they're like, okay, Jeff, get out of queue and come and sack these, these people's groceries. And, and then, you know, I would sack their groceries and I would be very conscientious about, because usually it was the mothers, you know, doing the shopping for the month. And at that time, I don't know, things may have changed. People were getting paid on a monthly basis. So, so they would come to the grocery and buy groceries for an entire month. So they were, they, you know, they were filling their cars up with bags and, but I was real conscientious as I was sacking stuff about making sure the bags were not heavy. Everything was uniform because I knew the mothers were going to be unpacking this stuff when they got home and no one was going to be able to help them. And I think I'm assuming they appreciated that. So when I would get tipped, I would get over tipped all the time. And so I'm making really good money sacking groceries. But the entrepreneurial piece came in because, you know, I realized that I'm looking at, you know, uh, candies that I knew were really popular at school. Like uh, charms, lollipops were probably the biggest thing back in the seventies, and and so kids were always eating charms, lollipops, and they were probably like ten cents in a, in a store off base. But I was looking at this bag, and I saw the price, and I think there was like thirty lollipops in the bag, and 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 the bag might be you know a dollar, and so I'm like, man, these are only like three cents a lollipop, but kids are paying ten cents at the store. I could sell these for a nickel. It's half the price the kids are paying, you know, at the store and I'm still almost doubling my, you know, getting doubling what I'm spending. And so I just started doing that. I would take all of my tip money and buy as much candy as my tip money would buy. I would take it home. I would open up the bags, put it into my lunch bag. You know, I just have this huge lunch bag every day, go to school and just sell candy out of my locker. 
And, um, you know, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time until, and actually this kind of, I, I thought about this fairly recently, you know, cause my dad caught me one day, I was in my room counting money. And, uh, so I was, I was an athlete. So, you know, one of the sports I played was, you know, I was on the bowling team and, you know, my, my parents had bought me a bowling ball and bowling bag. Well, I used my bowling bag to, you know, store my money. So I'm in my room and, you know, military parents. And, you know, in my house, you did not close your door. You, you definitely did not lock your door. I'm in my room with my door closed and locked and I'm counting my money. And so my dad knocks on the door. What are you doing in there? Oh, nothing, dad, nothing. <laughs> and I you know, scurry and, you know, close the bag, throw it in the closet, you know? And of course my dad hears all this noise, heard the closet door slam. So I open up the door. What, what were you doing in here? Absolutely nothing, dad. Open the closet door. I open the closet door. He sees my bowling bag on on the floor, and or my bowling ball, and then my bowling bag, which was completely misshapen because it's got money in there, not a bowling ball. So he's like, "Pull out that bowling bag. Open that up." I open up. Money's popping out of the out of the bowling bag. Now I'm I'm sure he's thinking, "Okay, my my kids must be dealing drugs or something." So he's like, "Where'd you get all that money?" So I, I got all this legitimately. I'm like, "I, I sell candy at at school." I said, I buy it at the commissary and then I take it at, you know, to school and sell it to the to kids. And so he's like, okay, I want you to show me what you're doing. So the next day he took off work and came to school with me and stood maybe like 50 yards away from me and watched me transact business at my locker for about 30 minutes and then came up and said, you're okay. So as long as this is all you're doing, you're fine. And he left and never, never brought up the topic again. You know, but the interesting thing was I knew what my dad was making as, as a, you know, he was probably like a, was probably a captain at the time, but I knew what his salary was, his, his monthly salary. And I probably, when, when my dad caught me in the room, I probably had more money in my bowling bag than my dad made in a month, you know? And again, as a kid, it just didn't, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just, it had made no impression on me. But when I think about that now as an adult, you know, it's like, I can't even imagine what my dad was thinking when, when he caught me with that much money in my room. And, and again, I, I always tell people, cause I've been asked before, it's like, how did you become an entrepreneur? I have no idea. I'm 65 years old. I still can't tell you how I became an entrepreneur. I don't know what in me, I, I've always been good at math. That was my best subject. I was good at everything, but math was my best subject, but I don't know what made me think, you know, buy wholesale, sell retail. You know, there were no entrepreneurs in my family. There were no entrepreneurs that mentored me. I just, I can't explain this. Um, it's quite a story. Jeffrey, before we close out, can you share a little bit about your current business and, and how you're teaching other entrepreneurs? Sure, absolutely. When I sold my, my business a decade ago, everyday entrepreneurs will reach out to me and ask me questions about that old business and say, you know, hey, how, how did you do this or how did you do that? And again, what I don't realize is, People are always telling me you should not have been able to do that. Companies your size, startups, shouldn't be able to do the things you were doing. I didn't realize that. I just, I just, you know, created a big, hairy, audacious goal and went after it. And, and then I, I guess I was doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing. So I have these conversations with entrepreneurs and, and then I hear pretty much this, every conversation ends the same. They're like, Jeff, you have way too much knowledge in your brain. You need to share that with the world. Why don't you write a book? So I started down that path. I have a friend who's, who's in the publishing industry, got me a deal. I start writing a book and, you know, my friend 
is introducing me, people in, in his ecosystem. He introduces me to a company in Seattle, Washington that takes author content and converts it into online coursework. So the CEO of that company sits me down and she says, Jeff, you know, um, stop writing your book. You know, let's focus on this, this course. Young people don't like to read. They need to be entertained with videos. And oh, by the way, you're narrating your course and you have to write all the, all the dialogue to narrate. So by the time you finish the course, you'll have written your book anyway. So basically that's what I, what I did. So, you know, I created this company called Think Big with Jeffrey Kent. The platform product is a seven week online course where I teach entrepreneurs how to launch exponentially scale and get to the exit, you know, to create generational wealth. What I've been doing this year is focusing on the platform Alignable to teach at a very high level kind of excerpts from my course in a condensed fashion to different groups on Alignable. And that's ultimately led to me forming my own group on Alignable, which is as of yesterday, three, three weeks old, that I call Entrepreneur University on Alignable. And through that, I'm, I'm really just trying to create a community for entrepreneurs to not only learn from me and to gain access to my uh, network base, but also to be able to collaborate with each other. So, you know, I just, the way I describe Entrepreneur University on Alignable is I want to do all the, the things that conventionally happen in online groups. I just want to do everything unconventionally. So, yeah. Jeffrey, if someone wants to learn more about you or your program or access any resources that you have, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, the best place is my website. It's uh, www.thinkbigwithjeffreykent.com. Jeffrey is spelled, it's the old English way. I have to thank my parents for that. So it's it's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. That's the easiest place to go. But, you know, I also create daily content and distribute on a variety of platforms, both video and text. So I'm on, you know, if, if someone were to just go on to any of the platforms I'm going to mention and, and just search either my name or, or it's probably easier to uh, search for Think Big with Jeffrey Kent because there are a couple, you know, other Jeffrey Kents who spell their name the same way uh, who've, who've done quite well uh, for themselves across the globe. But um, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Quora, Alignable, and I have a YouTube channel as well. Sounds great. Well, Jeffrey, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Smashing the Plateau and share a little bit about your experiences and your insights. My guest today has been founder and CEO of Think Big with Jeffrey Kent, Jeffrey Kent himself. Thank you, Jeffrey, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Remember, being an entrepreneur doesn't mean going in alone. Our community is here to support you, inspire you, and walk with you on your journey. Don't forget to visit smashingtheplateau.com slash goals and book your free 30-minute goal coaching session with me, David Schreiner-Khan. It's an opportunity to gain clarity, identify obstacles, and create a solid action plan toward achieving your business aspirations. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash goals. Join us next time for more wisdom from industry leaders. Until then, keep striving, keep believing, and keep smashing.